This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking newspapers and digital news media today. Um, welcoming back to guests, long-time listeners might be a little bit familiar with, James Chessel, who is these days the executive editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Welcome back, James. Hi, James. Good to have you here. Now, with him today is a colleague from down there, uh, Dave Eisman, who's the Director of Subscriptions and Growth. He's also at the City Morning Herald and The Age, but he also works across the Australian Financial Review. Is that right, Dave? That is correct. Thank you, James. Good work. And now we've got all those big titles out of the way. <laughs> now, very interesting time, of course, for you guys, because ownership changed of the, um, of the publications late last year. So let's just get a little bit of background. You've, you were both with um, what was the old Fairfax Media, correct? That's correct, yep. Yep. And you've been there for quite a while, James, yeah? Uh, yeah, on and off. On for, and off. <laughs> for, for, for 20 years, basically. Okay. With a, with okay. a few diversions along um, the way. And what were you when you first started at Fairfax? Uh, when what, I first what was, started, was then Fairfax? Uh, I was a cadet at the age. In, oh, yeah? In 2000. Yes. Okay, so you were a Melbourne boy? I'm a Canberra boy. Canberra but, boy. Uh, the age I, I got, I did the interview process and um, everyone else said no. So <laughs> I went to Melbourne. Okay, don't worry. It's a great be, place. won't be probing your background too deeply. Yeah. I just thought we'd, we'd set that up. And um, what about you, Dave? How long have you been in this sort of sector? I joined Fairfax around five years ago uh-huh. in okay. the, um, the what was the corporate strategy team in those days. All right, so that would have been Greg Highwood would have been CEO back he was then at CEO, the time. Yep. yep, and all the way through till they um, split up the company. Now we sort of um, James is executive editor. We sort of have a rough idea of what you do, but Dave, just tell us a little bit about your role because director of subscriptions and growth seems to cover a fair, fairly wide remit. Yeah, so the main focus is uh, digital subscriptions, as the title suggests, and it's basically any time someone's paying for access to our content unless they happen to go to a retailer and buy a newspaper at a newsagent. So, you know, digital subscriptions on the Herald and the Age, uh, consumer digital subscriptions on the Financial Review, and also what's increasingly an important part of our business, which is corporate subscriptions on the Fin. Okay, okay. Of course, the... um the Finns got the longest history, I guess, in terms of putting up a paywall, really driving subscribers hard. Is that correct? And yeah, that's correct. I think they were they were pioneers in that space globally. Um, they've been doing it if basically for as long as they've been on the internet. Um, I guess the great thing about the Fin, from our perspective, we back the value of the product, and it's frankly among the highest priced news subscriptions in the world and there's just consistent demand at that price which I think speaks largely to the editorial quality of the product. And they've sort of, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, and I pay that fee because I know <laughs> how, how punishing it is, but it's, um, yeah, it, it's worth the, worth the money, but they don't really, they're really steadfast. They don't really give stuff away, do they? It's, it's, it's a really solid paywall and that doesn't break down ever. Yeah, correct. Um, I think for a long time, the Finns recognised, particularly in a digital sense, that uh, subscriptions are the core of that business model and they've backed the strength, of the, the strength of the product and the results have been really, really solid. And James, you'd be familiar with that paywall, of course, because you wrote for the Fin for quite a while. Yeah, I, I wrote and edited the Fin and it was interesting when that hard paywall uh, was put in place and we would look across to the Sydney Morning <laughs> and Herald and The Age, which at that time had a... Um, there wasn't a paywall really, um, mm-hmm. and 
there was a bit of jealousy about the numbers they would get on stories compared with the numbers Finn stories would get, which are often lower because it's a more specialised audience. But as time went on, the newsroom, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, the newsroom genuinely came to appreciate the value that came with the paywall and, and as Dave alluded to before, the fact that people were willing to... to um, to pay so much money for a, for a subscription and that strategy to the credit of the people that put it in place at the time because it wasn't easy and it was much criticised um, has, has proved to be really far-sighted um, and, you know, a lot of the other mastheads, um, you know, uh, have, have played catch-up. Yeah, I think it was Michael Gill was... That's deserves true. some of the credit, doesn't he, for, That's true. for back and, in the day? And, when and Glenn Burge, who was the editor-in-chief back then also. Yeah. And you said it was uh, often criticised and a lot of people thought he was. <laughs> they were a little bit crazy, in fact, and yeah. not just the competitors, right? Because it, yeah. as you uh, said, David, world pioneer, no one had really done that very successfully. Yeah. And still some people are struggling with it, I guess. Yeah, they? and the Finn has evolved. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be speaking on behalf of the Finn, but the Finn has evolved a lot digitally as well. They, you know, while they got some, some things right back then, they were probably um, not as open to telling stories in digital ways and trying to reach new audiences in, 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 the, in the way that um, the way the journalism was presented. And I think um, the newsroom has has been has sort of gone on a bit of a journey there and become a bit more open minded. So you you don't have to just because you have a very hard paywall doesn't mean you shouldn't try and reach um, large numbers of people who are interested in your content. Sure, I want to hear from you both in some detail about what's happening these days, current strategies and stuff like that. But I thought it'd be helpful just to talk a little bit about the transition between what was Fairfax and and the new ownership. Um, what because you'd been through some tough years at the newspaper, hadn't you? Greg Highwood, I guess, had, had, was seen seen by a lot of people to be successful in changing the model down there. I guess cutting out a lot of the fat, if you like, getting the making the business model work um, in what is a fairly new climate, um, introducing that paywall. What? How, how was he? How will he be seen? Do you think in terms of? Of, of history, if you like, and the work he did at, at keeping those papers, um, I, I guess, publishing, for one? Um, it's a really good question. And it, it might be too early to judge it, that. Yeah, and know. it probably is it to a certain extent, but I think um, Highwood's legacy will be one of bringing stability to the newsrooms. Um, now... Uh, there were a lot of a lot of people were made redundant during that period. There were some really tough decisions on the printing side um, as well, um, and and not for a minute am I suggesting it was a particularly pleasant or easy time for people that worked at any of the three metro mastheads. However, if you know, as someone who's managing two of them now, I'm I'm you know we're not. The, the days of redundancy rounds are behind us. Um, the budgets are healthy. Subscriptions are growing. Advertising revenue is growing. We are genuinely in a in a different era to the point where our part of nine is actually the fastest growing. So for, for admittedly, proportionally, it's a lot smaller than free-to-air television, but for us to be in the fastest growing part of 
of a large media company um, is is you know is pretty amazing. Um, it's not something I would have envisaged seven, eight, nine years ago. And I do think um, Greg Highwood deserves some of the credit for that. Um, and he made some pretty unpopular decisions, but that's what CEOs have to do. Yeah, I and mean, I used to see it as well that you know that it's a company that could have could have stopped publishing really if they just mm. if they didn't adapt. To, to the changing marketplace. And as you said, a lot of them were tough decisions. A lot of people suffered, I guess. Yeah. But the upside was, well, you've still got the products. You've still got a lot of people working there. Yeah. I mean, we've got a newsroom, um, the, the Herald and Age newsroom, and this includes Perth and Brisbane and other other bits and pieces. There's, you know, about 500, 500 people working there. It's a big organisation. Um, it's producing some really good journalism. There's a lot of stability back there. Um, you know, the other question Dave and I would get asked all the time is, what impact has nine as the new ownership made? I'm sure you're going to ask that anyway. Um, and the honest answer so far is it, it's been a really easy transition. Um, Hugh Marks very early on said he wasn't going to integrate newsrooms or tell us what to do. Um, and he's been true to his word, which has been great. Yet at the same time, we have probably increased the amount of co collaboration we've done over time. But the good thing about that is it's been, it's been from the ground up. It's been an organic uh, process where editors have spoken to their equivalents at nine and come up with ideas that both sides are happy about rather than having those ideas sort of imposed from the top down. Um, so, you know, you've seen things like David... David Rowe uh, went to uh, Syria. One of our Canberra reporters went to went to Syria with our our great photographer Kate Garrity, and um, Nine helped pay for that. It's not cheap to send someone over there. Uh, Nine Television helped pay for that. Um, we did some stories over there for the newspapers, but David also appeared on television, and the you know the not only did it amplify that amazing story about about the Australians caught over in Syria in those camps, um, but it was really good from a news floor perspective. Everyone was really thrilled to see Dave on television. Um, Dave was thrilled to be on television, um, as most people are uh, once they get the hang of it, and um, it just sort of showed the power of the of the group when it's done when it's done properly um, because we didn't have that and we're up against two really big competitors really the news limited machine um, which has a which has a television adjunct in sky and you're up against the ABC which is this sort of billion dollar a year news machine which has a, a, a huge number of, of journalists and um, you know they work across different platforms really successfully so to give our newsrooms that link to television when it's appropriate, I'm not doing it for the sake of it, but when it's appropriate has been a really powerful thing. So by that, it sounds like the any concerns that the staff might have had about new ownership, what it might mean, there hasn't been, a, they've been allayed any fears. They're, they're allowed to continue on pretty much as before. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Look, it, staff had concerns they will always have concerns um, it's the nature of a it's the nature of a newsroom um, but it, it's not an exaggeration to say that the transition has been um, has been pretty much drama free um, even the even the moves to the new offices which will happen over the next um, 12 months or so um, uh, you know, I think a, a reasonably a pretty positive development, and um, and my staff have got on board with that. So, yeah, it's been it's been, 
I'm sorry that there isn't a lot more controversy, <laughs> but it, it's been pretty good so far. Yeah, well, it does seem like that, you know. I'm sure people would have been fishing around for things that um, mightn't have gone well, but Indeed. to date they haven't been able to find them. Can I just ask you one more thing on editorial? The the tag that you have on the front of the paper, something independence always. Independent always. Independent always. And that there's that, that charter, isn't it called a charter? The, charter the of Editorial Independence. Independence, yeah. And that was, nine agreed to that pretty early on in the piece, didn't they? They agreed on day one, yes. Yes, yep. yeah, yeah. And um, we're going to, we're in the middle of an election campaign now, so there's no sort of meddling or input editorial sort of um, suggestions or anything coming from, from anywhere at nine about what you should be or shouldn't be doing? Oh, no, absolutely not. It's exactly the same as it was before. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the chart is really important and I think it was a good sign that Nine didn't have to be asked to, to sign up to it. Um, and it, symbolically it's incredibly important as well. Um, but what's been reassuring to me as we've gone along is a recognition from the nine side or the old nine side, we're all nine now, but the, the old, you know, the legacy nine side that the independent always thing is, is, a, is, a, is primarily about journalistic ethics um, and so it should be. But there's also a recognition that if you were to start um, interfering with the direction of the Herald or the Age, um, there would be economic consequences. Our readers um, are very, uh, they're intelligent people. They don't like to have political views rammed down their throat. They're smart enough to make up um, their own minds on matters of politics or any other serious issue. Um, and were we to start becoming a bit didactic, um, you know, a bit more tabloid in the way that we approach these issues, we would destroy the value of the mastheads. So it would be a self-defeating thing. Yeah, well, it's a selling point, isn't it? That independent always. And Dave, I guess that that's why people buy subscriptions, right? Because they, they pay for that independence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there are a number of different motivations, but I think to James's point, the uh, the knowledge that what you're getting is not being influenced by any kind of political motives, um, you know, or commercial interest, I think is a valued part of what we offer to readers and increasingly to our subscribers. We heard um, James then mention some of the synergies across editorial so far. Is there anything on the commercial side and the subscription side that you're, you're sort of sharing or you maybe will be in the future with Nine? Yeah, I mean, I guess before we even get into sharing, one, one positive out of the merger is it's really cl uh, clarified the role of each of the mastheads in the portfolio. So I think for the Finn, that was always clear. It's a, you know, it's a tool for business people and, you know, and the political class executives and aspiring executives. Um, what it's enabled the Herald and the Age to do is really focus on distinctive local, national, international journalism aimed at, aimed at their core subscriber base. So, you know, James could attest to this. It's really enabled us to send a message to the newsrooms that reaches a secondary consideration. This is about Firstly, growing that loyal, habitual audience that come back to us every day because they recognise that what we do is different and not something you can get everywhere, and ultimately proving enough value for them that they're um, they're willing to pay for our journalism. And you know, coming together with Nine has really enabled that because, of course, we've we've got a mass reach online publication in the portfolio, so it's really enabled us to come up with a really clear business strategy for each of the each of the uh, products. 
it's a cliche question, but I'll ask it anyway, <laughs> the future of print. And it seems to me maybe to be a little bit more secure now than it might have been in the past. Is And, and where does it sit within the sort of subscription? How, Look, how attractive I think, um, is print to your subscribers? So I think, um, yeah, I mean, Fairfax had spoken publicly about, you know, a finite lifespan for print without ever putting a date on it. I think in the last couple of years, we've probably seen enough uh, hard data from a commercial perspective that suggests that lifespan is probably longer rather than shorter. Um, you know, both on the ad side, I think the ad, the print ad performance has really improved. Um, the other thing that we've seen, particularly around the weekend products, is that there's really healthy demand in market if we package it up appropriately. So, you know, and I'm not even saying it's demand from people who have been getting the product for 20 years and keep getting it. We ran a summer sale over December, January, where um, we offered a promotional discount on a digital subscription with the weekend papers. And we saw some of the strongest uh, take up we've seen since we launched digital <laughs> subscriptions in 2013. Um, so that, I mean, that just gives a sense that there really is that demand out there, particularly for the weekend products. Yeah. Are those discount days or weekends or periods important at sort of um, bringing in new readers? Oh, look, they help. I think um, we, our, I'd say the number of new subscribers we get, we bring in every week is pretty healthy. And when, you know, across the industry globally, various publications talk about the pivot to paid, I think we're probably in a better position than most to uh, realise the promise of that. Um, but, you know, like anything, a discount helps. And I think I think part of the reason why that's true is, you know, the news industry in the early days of the internet made the call, rightly or wrongly, to give away most of what it produced for free. And we've built a habit and an expectation among many people that news is free. We're working through a process of changing that. I mean, as we discussed earlier, for certain publications like The Fin, that's never existed. But for publications like The Herald and The Age, the reality is we uh, we encur actually encourage many of our readers to expect that they could get it for free. And, you know, if a short-term promotion can help just make that decision and realise that actually it is a product worth paying for, um, I think it's a, it's a valid strategy. What is the paywall? The moment. Was it something like 30, 30? No, it was, it was 30 was when it? we launched and remained at about 30 articles until a couple of years ago. Um, we've been gradually tightening over time as we've just built confidence in the model. Um, and, you know, now it's a little bit more complex because it varies based on where you've come from and various other reader behaviours, but it, okay. it's been gradually tightened over the last year or two as we've built confidence in the subscription model. Okay, so you do sample stuff. But there's no strict that the paywall is, is variable. Well, yeah. A dynamic paywall, by definition, means that a certain type of reader might hit the paywall quicker than another type of reader. Um, and the other thing that we've done is there are now paywall. There, there were big holes in the paywall. Um, Brisbane Times, WA Today, for example, which have been uh, plugged. locked. Plugged, yes. <laughs> and um, plugged's a better word. And. Um, uh, the Canberra Times also um, has run a, a lot of our content. And that will that will that will develop over time as well. So it it is a lot harder now to get huge amounts of our journalism for free. 
Yeah, yeah, because they were one of the things you used to hear, especially in the trade that, oh, yeah, it's a paywall, but it's easy to get around it. I, yeah. I guess the thing was you'd copy the headline, Google it, and find out where you could where you could find it, but that's, yeah. that's a bit harder to do these days, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it is harder. Um, but, you know, the Emma, the Emma figures... There is some power still in in reach. The Emma the Emma mm. figures um, showed that the Herald's got more than eight million monthly um, readers, and the, across print and digital, and the and the Age has more than four million um, across print and digital. And as we uh, people like me have been learning, you have a funnel when you talk about subscriptions. And if the top of that funnel is wide, and there are a yeah. lot of people in it, it's a good way to start. So because um, yeah, that's the tightrope, isn't it? The yeah. Advertisers need the big numbers, but then yeah. to get people to pay, you're probably going to be, yeah. you know, you can't get as wide yeah, as although all free. I think the that tight that tightrope can be overstated at times. I mean, I think as we've taken quite a careful approach over the last couple of years, but we have tightened things up, and we've seen no real impact on traffic as we've done mm. that. As James said, we've still got eight million readers. Um, I don't think that's had a particular impact on on our ad business. I mean, I think if you made a sudden change, you might have a different story. But um, from our perspective, we haven't seen any particular impact. Our digital ad business is growing. Similarly, you look overseas, you know, the New York Times are obviously publicly traded. So they, they list um, and, you know, you can look at their financials and at the same time as they've surpassed, I think it's three or four million digital subscribers. They're growing their ad business at a double digit rate. So... I think there are ways around that tightrope. Yeah, and I'll I, I'll save this question mainly for when I talk to your ad people. But quality of audience, I guess, is an attraction too. To is that is that what you hear back from your commercial teams that you know people do value the quality of that Herald Age AFR audience? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the core of of what we're selling, and I think um, it's one area in which advertising and subscriptions are beautifully aligned. I mean, in the discussion I often have with James and his colleagues is the beauty of um, the subscription business is it perfectly aligns what journalists want to do with the business outcome. But I think at the same time, if we if we successfully grow an audience that is so engaged that they're willing to pay for our journalism, that's got to be um, got to be good for advertisers as well. James, what's the what are the key things you have to get right for your, for your? I mean, there's there's the obvious news stories that everybody has, you've got to be across them, perhaps with that sort of, you know, independent um, insights that, that your people will bring. What other things are, are also important? Um, we talk about three things. We talk about breaking news, um, and that can mean two things. It can it can mean there's a big event like Christchurch, and we, we are still... Um, the Herald and the Age, the place people go when there's a big event. They know that we are quick yet accurate and we're not going to be sensationalist. But breaking news also means giving people exclusive news, news they cannot get somewhere else. And I remember, um, you know, 10 years ago, there were certain people walking around saying, well, the value of an exclusive is is diminishing. Um, you can you can rip it off another website or churn it um, very quickly, or do your own version. Um, we shouldn't be focused on that, and I think that's proved to be a really bad way of looking at it. Um, 
if your website does not or your or your newspaper does not have stories that are unique and stories that demonstrate that you are sharper than the competition people pick up on it even if it's not on a story by story basis they pick up they pick up on it in in general which is why newspapers still um use and sometimes abuse the term exclusive um it's an important it's an important part of the business and if your if your reporters aren't breaking getting scoops or or having exclusive news it probably suggests they're not doing their job so that's the first part um the second part is setting the agenda um i think one of the problems when you you're trying to be a mass reach kind of play which perhaps the herald and the age were a while ago is that you're not you're not thinking about what what's important to our audience what are the what are the key themes what are the issues we want to we want to talk about um now you have to be led by the data uh, to a certain extent but you also have to have editors that make calls so you know we have a we have a sense of 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 the various issues and policies and um and topic areas that our readers are interested in and we want to be a, a serious part of the national or the state conversation um for those issues we don't want to be um, a publication that sort of just sits back and opines about it or follows. So setting the agenda is really important. And then the final thing is is quality. If you're asking people to pay, you need to ensure that the quality of your journalism um, is is of a decent decent or better than decent standard, a high standard. And that goes from you know the copy itself to to the quality of the ideas. Um, because there is a lot of commoditized news out there, so there's no point serving that up. If you're gonna, if you're gonna write about Israel Folau, or you're gonna write about the federal election, or um, whatever it is, you have to be doing it in a way where people go, you know what, that was a really quali- quality piece of work. Um, I don't mind paying for that. So they're the three things we focus on. Okay, Greg Highwood for a while there used to talk about when he was looking at ways of, you know being able to continue with maybe spending a little bit less money was there we said there there was a very long tail of stories that had quite small audiences and they thought they could just you know re-strategize the, a lot of the content maybe not cover some of that stuff did did that work out was that a did, did that happen did they cut back on a lot of those coverage of I don't I, I don't know any examples but 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 subjects that might have had a small following that you didn't really need to cover um I think, I think you can do. I think you can end up doing stories if you're a journalist that don't have a lot of value to your audience. You might be writing for your contacts, or you might be writing about a niche subject that you find particularly interesting. And so you do need to be led by the audience data that tells you, you know, there's not much point doing a story, even in a subscriber universe that is read by twelve people. Um, even if they're highly influential people, there's no there's no value attached to that. Um, in topics like sport and business, it's a little bit different. You know, in sport, for example, the vast majority of our readers in um, Sydney read NRL, cricket, and a bit of rugby. Um, in Melbourne, it's AFL. No surprises and cricket. Um, but does that mean we wouldn't cover? netball for example and that would be if you look at a graph netball is in the tail but we would never think that we wouldn't cover netball for for example so you've got to make editorial calls in these situations and i think you've got to balance the you know being pragmatic which i guess is the partly the highwood 
view that you describe, but also being a, a masthead that says, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna cover things that we think are important as well. So it's just getting that balance right, which isn't easy when you don't have unlimited resources. Something to add just to what sure. James just said as well is if you're focused on purely on digital ads, you might make the call that if there's a topic of interest to only a few thousand people, you run some simple numbers, it just doesn't seem worth our while. Whereas I think subscriptions change that because a few thousand subscribers who really value your coverage of whether it's netball or the arts or something that will never be top of the list for clicks can still drive a really solid business outcome and fund your investment in that area. So I think if you think about, you know, the potential or the potential number of subscribers who are interested in something, it just, it changes the, um, the decision slightly. James, I wanted to ask you about a couple of areas that seem to be really thriving at the paper. Now, picking up my uh, Sydney Morning Herald Saturday of last weekend, I could hardly lift it off the um, front porch. Pleased that, to hear that. That, <laughs> that travel section was just massive. It was up yeah. over 60 pages, I think, had a special cruise section in it, which is obviously a thriving part of the travel business. But there's areas like that that you, um, and I guess it's just not advertisers, there must be a big readership there that's very keen in all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think that's right. One of the, we talked about what, went well during the Highwood era. Era, I think one of the things um, the old Fairfax probably didn't get right was the the um, the communication about print. Um, and there were some reasons for that, which I won't go into. But anyway, the, there was a bit of a perception that, um, rightly or wrongly, that, that we weren't as keen on print as, as we perhaps should have been. And so we lost a lot of share to, to news. Um, and there were Certainly, I mean, to be blunt, there were advertisers going, well, I hear that you don't, not that interested in print, so why would we invest in you? So um, travel's a great example of we've, we've put a lot of effort into making our print products um, better over the last 18 months. And I think to, I think Dave said this before, advertisers pick up on that. Um, the travel's been a, a, a really good, a really good um, sector for us from what I understand. I'm not, I'm not particularly close to all the commercial stuff, but um, there are other aspects where, 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 where big advertisers have gone, we want, we want a piece of this. Um, and, you know, print's, print's been really powerful for us in that sense. And if you're doing print well, I think it means you probably do digital better anyway. And, and um, the, the two things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, we don't sort of talk about, we've got an integrated newsroom um, and we try and, try and keep it that way. Right. Um, so let's just talk about the future then. Um, for, for you, Dave, are there, are there things, I mean, I wrote a little bit flippantly maybe when Nine first got involved, I said, oh, you never know, you might get a, be a stand subscriber and you might get a package with the Sydney Morning Herald or The Age. I mean, are there, could you explore things like that in the future? We would absolutely explore things like that. In fact, I think we've, um, we've even done that in the past. This was before I was involved okay. in subscriptions, but as I understand it, there, there have been a few, um, a few goes of that that have been reasonably successful. Um, it's called bundling, I guess. In the, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, at the moment, our focus is on doing the best job we possibly can of selling the core value of the news products. And I think, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of our colleagues at Stan, but they've got an incredibly strong catalogue and they're focused on selling that. But in the future, I think we'd absolutely look to do things like that. Yeah. And particularly, you know, particularly where it makes sense if our, you know, if, if, I think it's highly likely that there's a reasonable crossover of audience. So if, 
between Stan and our masthead. So if we can make it easier for them and offer a discount, then I think we'd be mad not to. And, and from from looking at your part of the business, do you is it is it about sort of holding everybody you've got, or do you think there's upside to bring in more people and, and improve the numbers? There's absolutely upside. I mean, across all of our mastheads, we're seeing consistent week on week growth in subscriber numbers. Um, and you know that's not just on our digital packages. As I said, we've had some really strong performance, particularly on the um, the weekend print package as well. So. I think across the Herald and the Age, across the Fin in a consumer sense, across the Fin in a corporate licensing sense, I think we're seeing growth across the board and there, there are no real signs of that slowing down. If anything, I think, um, you know, the trend's our friend. There's increasing public acceptance that uh, there is a difference between news you pay for and news you don't. Um, so we're absolutely focused on growing across all our products. And James, just for you, when you look at look ahead this year, I mean, have you got some um, pretty aggressive budgets about you know where you'd like to be and or or sort of initiatives you'd like to see introduced? Um, we have we have we obviously have internal targets in terms of um, in terms of audience and and subs. Um, but my main my main goal is to keep working on those three. Um, those three things that we talked about before, and sort of, you know, the the federal election campaign, which is which is uh, coverage, which has been run by our national editor Tori McGuire um, and our federal politics editor Bevan Shields at the moment, is a really good example of what we're trying to do. So, if you compared what we did last campaign to what we're doing now, it's just worlds apart. You know, we've got a we've got a podcast, we've got newsletters. Um, we're doing a lot, a lot more interactive work um, with our on the digital side. It's 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 just a it is a higher quality, more newsy um, approach to journalism. So you know, we're not going to change the stuff we cover. We're going to try and cover try and cover it better. And and the the Fed poll at the moment, which is really humming, um, is a good example of that. Oh, you'd call me, I guess, an old school Fairfax reader. I've been doing it for a while, but I, I like seeing the familiar names. Um, you know, the uh, Peter Fitzsimons, um, Kate McClymont, uh, even Andrew Hornery uh, in the paper. Even reading. Andrew Hornery. I'm <laughs> pleased to hear that. He will be too. Well, no, but he's a younger guy, I guess, so <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he wouldn't, you know, yeah. he'd like to be acknowledged as maybe yeah. a younger generation. He but, definitely um, would be, yes. <laughs> Um, lost my train of thought now. But but are you building the new stars of tomorrow too? Are there are there younger people stepping up who who will become maybe household names in journalism? You think? Yeah, I'd hope so. I think one of the unfortunate um, one of the unfortunate effects of the last ten years, and this would apply the ABC or news as as well as what was then Fairfax, is there was a bit of a hollowing out. So a lot of really senior people held on, um, uh, and we kept hiring very junior people and then some of those people in the middle um, left and did other did other things and pursued other opportunities. So this period of stability, it's exactly what we need to do because um, I want Kate McClymont to be writing for us as long as as long as um, she she can and and chooses to. But we do need people to step up. And I think we've now got a newsroom. There's just not that in the old days when redundancies were a thing you 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 know there was a sort of there was just a bit more there wasn't as much thought that went into hiring and because we're we're 
it's all a bit more calm now um, and you know there's the money to replace people. You don't have to rush into things. So we're being a bit more... We're being a bit more strategic about that. So, yeah, I, I, I don't want to start naming people I think no. will be the stars of the future, but I'm a lot more confident. It's a really good point that you raise, but I'm a lot more confident that that will, that, that will, um, that will take place now than, than, say, 10 years ago. I think there's a good, bright future for people who want to stick around. Is it a little bit harder these days, though, maybe, because the demands of digital news, do, do the Will you be able to give people the time? You know, look, you can have a week on the story and think it out properly and, you know. Um, yeah, you, yes, on that point, but it is also harder. I think it's more if someone comes up with a really good yarn and they need three weeks to do it, we will we will give them three weeks, okay. no questions asked. What is harder f- is for the younger journos. Like I remember when I started many years ago, you would, you would do, as a business journo, you'd do one share market report a day effectively, maybe something else. You'd have two or three people that would have the senior writers weren't rushed off their feet. They'd sit there and give you their two cents. Then a, then a couple of subs would bash you over the head for your terrible copy. Then the business editor would talk to you and because people had more time um, and they were able to and, – and as a result, they could put more time into – into younger journos. Um, now, it's certainly not sink or swim or anything like that. We've got trainees in um, at the moment. We hired 11 over both our newsrooms. The AFR are also hired um, and they're going through a great training program. But the mentoring you get with some of the senior journos around you, that they they are uh, time poor. So that's, that's the little bit I worry about. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of great things about being a journalist now, um, you know, just being able to look at, I, I remember when I started, we didn't have the internet to check things. <laughs> so um, there are a lot of things that have improved as well. Sure. Fantastic. All right. Um, Dave, anything coming up on the on the growth or the subscription side that people could watch out for? Um, not really. Uh, well, plenty. Do you, work, do you work across other sort of um, revenue streams as well? Is that part I of have, your... I absolutely have. So I had some involvement in our partnership with Google, which is going really well. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess on the subscriptions front, really the way things are working, which is great, is, you know, my team and I work really closely with the editors and just think through, like, for example, with an election coming up, They'll obviously have their plan of the key issues, how they're going to cover them. But the thing that's really encouraging is there are now more and more conversations every day about what more can we do for our subscribers specifically just to ensure that we're constantly reminding them of the value they get for their subscription. And I think the more we, as we do that, we'll just keep seeing the results. Yeah. All right, guys. Look, uh, great to uh, have you both in here. Um, Thanks for um, taking time out of your diary and um, have a good Easter. You too, James. Thank you, James.